0: Alright guys, let's turn to Genesis chapter 13. We have a good deal to cover today and I'm going to skip right into it because of that. Uh, I would imagine uh, you can relate to the story that we're going to read today because one of our heroes gets put into a situation that you have probably been put in. Here's what I mean. You probably know the uneasy feeling when you've got to deal with a situation that is touchy like a conflict situation that could blow up at any minute. Maybe you're in a conflict with somebody and you know you've got to talk to this person and you don't know what direction this thing is gonna go. Or maybe you've been called upon to kind of settle a conflict between two people and you know that both of these people are sensitive and this could go any direction, right? We've all faced situations like that. We've all faced conversations like that. Sometimes it blows up in a house. Sometimes it blows up at work and splits a company in half. Sometimes it splits a church in half. Even nations and wars can be started over these sensitive issues. We're probably not strangers to any of them. And we know the feeling. It feels like diffusing a bomb. You go into a situation like this and you feel like I've got to pull this wire just right and I've got to pull this wire just right. And if I do one thing, the whole thing could blow. Uh, in a conflict situation like that, especially with sensitive people, How can we bear the weight of the calling from Jesus to be peacemakers? Not just pacifists, not just people who don't contribute to conflict, but people who initiate peace and make peace. How can you do that in a perplexing Touchy situation. Well, one of the heroes of the faith, Abraham, is going to be in just a situation like that. And he's going to give us a model for how the faith we place in God's promises can help us make peace in difficult situations. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, and I know many of you are, I pray that you will look to it and see that model, see one way that your faith in God's promises can change your everyday life, can bring wisdom and blessing into hard situations, uh, particularly in conflict situations like this. Uh, some of you I know probably are not followers of Jesus, and I pray what he shows you in his word today is just how great and wonderful his counsel is, how lofty his wisdom is, how beautiful his word is, and how worthy he is of following, because we have our hope in great promises here, and those promises are available to you. You can come and follow him just as well. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the sermon. Service. But before we even get there, I just want you to see how amazing his word is. That's what I'm praying for you guys. Let's look at Genesis 13 together and just see what the Lord might have to say to us through it. So Abram went from Egypt to the Negev, uh, he and his wife, and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Now, Lot was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, and the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. Now Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Lot lifted up his eyes. And he saw all the valley of the Jordan. It was well watered everywhere. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go out to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and he moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give away the points here early so that you can know what you're looking for as we're going into the story here. That way, you're looking there, you know what we're looking at. Basically, there's a progression that's going on here, I think the Lord is teaching us. On one hand, when we have faith and confidence in God's promises, that enables us to be generous and gentle in situations of conflict. So that's step one. Your faith in his promises allows you to be generous and gentle in conflict. Then the second step we're going to see is that that gentleness and uh, generosity and conflict, that can help diffuse the conflict. And then the third thing we'll see is when the Lord uses us as peacemakers like that, he then confirms that we are his sons. As Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So you got your faith in his promises leading to generosity and gentleness. You got generosity and gentleness helping to resolve touchy situations. Then you've got your, your ability to make peace in those situations uh, leading to a confirming that yes, you are one of God's sons. That's what we're looking for. Let's go through the story and look for it. Uh, Where we last left Abram, he was in this really threatening situation in Egypt, and uh, he didn't handle it very well, but he did wind up leaving with a lot of bounty, basically. All kinds of animals, livestock, gold, silver, uh, even servants, all kinds of employees, all this wonderful stuff he leaves with, and we get kind of a recap in the beginning. Now, the big story that's going on here is a. Abram has received from God very, very generous promises. So he has this confidence that this land that he has returned to, this particular land called Canaan, today called Israel, uh, that his descendants are going to become a great nation in that land. So he's promised many descendants uh, that land, and then that there'll be a great nation in that land. And and the question is, how's that going to play out over the course of these stories? That's the big form story, right? And then you got this little story within. It. So this is kind of like when you watch a serial show on TV, like a show that has a long form plot uh, and there's some big overarching thing that is going on for a whole time through the story and maybe finally in the finale, like they'll wrap that up. It's kind of like that big story going on here. And when you first tune into one of those episodes, the first thing they do is previously on whatever. Right. And they give you a little recap. Right. That's what they do in these first two verses here. I'll read them to you. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. Now, on TV, when they give you the recaps, they don't tell you the whole story of what happened before, right? They just tell you the little bits that you're going to need in this episode, all right? So when you see like maybe a character uh, who hasn't appeared in five or six episodes and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot all about that guy, that's a clue that that guy's going to come back into the story in this episode, right? And that's exactly what happens here. Lot hasn't been mentioned in a while, but then we read, oh, and Lot came with him. It's this subtle reminder, oh, Lot's about to come back into the story. Uh, the other big factor in the story is that they're both very wealthy because Abram has now gained a lot of livestock and silver and gold so we've got those factors there that are going to become important uh, next we get a little hint that Abram is uh, basically back to his old self again uh, he retraces his steps goes back to one of the places where he had built an altar and he worships the Lord there that's in verses three and four I'll read that to you He went on his journey from the Negev, that's the southern part of the land, as far as Bethel, going up north now a little bit, to the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So this is like a hint that like, Good Abram is back, basically. Like the, the shenanigans that he pulled in Egypt, probably over with. He's back to kind of walking on the right path here. We can expect that maybe he will handle this situation well. Now, did he go before the Lord and repent or did he offer a thank offer? We don't know, but he's, he's back to worshiping the Lord and trusting in his promises again. So that's the setup. Abraham's kind of being good again. Uh, they're very wealthy. Lot is back in the picture. And now it's time to introduce the conflict into the story. Here's where it gets tense in verse 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. So they both have flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling then in the land. So Abram and Lot, uh, Abram is uncle, Lot is nephew. They each have people working for them and they have a whole lot of animals, right? And there are so many animals that there aren't enough resources in the land to support everybody. So pretty good recipe for conflict, right? There's room for 10 oxen at this riverbank to drink. And I have 40 oxen and you have 80 oxen, right? That's a, that's a recipe for us to just have all kinds of problems. Uh, and that tends to be how things go. Mistrust gets you know, kind of brewed in there and all of a sudden they're fighting, they're doing things out of anger against each other. The core of this is that there isn't enough water and land and food and everything else to go about for all of the animals there so the guys in charge of the animals who are going to be held accountable for the flourishing of the animals uh, well they're starting to fight with each other over the resources so that's what's going on that's the tension okay let's hit pause there is that not a perfect story of most of the conflicts that we have in our everyday lives right Uh, usually it doesn't start with you did this and i'm mad at you it gets there eventually but no it starts with there not being enough of something to go around right there's in some way shape or form I want something and if I get what I want then you don't get what you want but if you get what you want then I don't get what I want so that naturally puts us opposed to each other that's the beginnings of conflict even among people who love each other even among married couples you get in a situation where we can't both get what we want we can't both get taken care of and all 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 of a sudden, we're in opposition to each other that brews mistrust, you know. Now all of a sudden, because you getting what you want means me not getting what I want, well now anything that you do, I'm gonna kind of read a little too much into and I'm not gonna trust your motives and now we don't trust each other. Never mind that sometimes we actually do shady things to each other, right? And so there's the mistrust and there's the possibility that maybe we are gonna do things evil to each other, then tempers flare up and that's how conflict happens, Uh, The book of James sums it up really starkly. He says, uh, What is the cause of the fights and the quarrels among you? He says it's that you desire and you do not have and so you murder. Uh, The conflicts we have with people come from the desires we have, uh, especially when we can't both get what we want. That's why people fight. In this case, if Lot's sheep get the best of the land and the pastures and the river water, then Abram's don't. And if Abram's sheep get the best of it, then Lot's don't. And so on for the oxen and the camels and whatever else they have there. Uh, and this is in a time when today's clans in the family are tomorrow's nations in the world. And they seem to understand and know this. So, This strife, this tension that's breaking out between these herdsmen today could very well be a war tomorrow between two nations and two families. This is a volatile situation that is starting to explode and could get much worse. Uh, That's why I compare it to volatile situations in our lives, very similar to the sensitive and potentially explosive conflicts that you may be part of in your life. And here's the amazing thing. Abram goes in and diffuses the bomb. He just solves the whole like, hurt locker style, just goes in there and boop, 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 just taken care of and done. And as he does, he gives a model for us about how faith can do this. So the first way he does it, the first way he diffuses the bomb, uh, is uh, part one of our progression, and that is that God's promises, when you trust them, they make you generous and gentle. Let's look for that in the story first. Uh, let's pick up at verse eight. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. And if to the right, then I will go to the left. So what happens here is there's a mountain between these two cities, and they're up on the top of this mountain. Uh, and from one side of it, you can see most of the land that's been promised to Abram. Uh, His descendants are gonna get all this stuff that's over here and a little bit that's on the other side. If you turn around and look the other way from this mountain, you see a little bit more of the land that was promised to him, and then this wonderful Jordan River with all of its life-giving flow and just bountiful stuff growing there, flowing into this wonderful sea with all kinds of life, and this river valley that's on the other side of the river and then on the other side the sea going as far as the eye can see that's well watered and lush and man, it really looks like you could raise people and flocks there and found a nation there. It's really good looking stuff. So they're up there looking at both of this and uh, Abram is kind of negotiating with him okay like where are my people going to settle and where are your people going to settle uh, if, if you're a game guy and you like the game settlers of Catan this is like the first round of settlers of Catan when you're like picking where everybody's going to be that's what they're doing and the game's going to get going to play out later and the nations are going to grow in certain places if you don't know that game I'm sorry I'm a dork and some of us are and that's how that is so uh, so it's like that where the game is going to get played and whoever on the better land and their families multiply more and their, their children flourish and their grandchildren flourish they'll be a bigger nation tomorrow and they'll have the advantage on the world stage tomorrow so this setup here this negotiation he's doing is just monumental for even the history of nations. like certain nations are settled in certain places today because of this conversation that they had And one kind of neat thing is that Abram's got the upper hand, like he's both a player in this game and he's kind of referee in the game because he's Uncle Abram and Lot is nephew Lot. And so he's got all authority to take him up there and say, all right, little brother, uh, you get that little bit of land over there and all the rest of it is mine. And Lot really couldn't answer him or fight against him if he said that because Abram's in charge. Uh. So Abram's got the advantage, he's got the upper hand. It's hugely monumental in history, this decision they're making. And Abram does the craziest thing. He gives Lot first pick of the land. He just says, okay, you can pick. No like taking advantage of the situation that he's in. Just No, just total generosity towards his nephew. Doesn't take advantage of the upper hand at all. Why would he do that? There's only one reason and it's because he's got confidence in the promises that God has already made to him to have a great land and a great nation growing in that land from him. God's already said, you're getting all of this land, your descendants all there, and there'll be a great nation there. So he has no worries about Lot rising up to be a better nation than him. He has no worries about whether he'll get the good pick of the land. He's already walked it and he already knows what his descendants are going to get. Furthermore, he doesn't have the land yet. It says right there, the Canaanite and the Perizzite were dwelling in the land. The the land that was going to be his belonged to other people. it was going to go to his descendants one day and so what does he care if it goes from the Canaanites to Lot and then to his descendants or if it goes from the Canaanites straight to his descendants right so he's got full confidence in God's promise that his descendants are going to prosper in this one land and so he's free to just be like yeah Have whatever you want. He can be generous as anything in the short term because he knows that he's the one that is going to win in the long term. So his confidence in God's promises makes him generous. And that's why I say that our confidence in God's promises to us do the same thing to us. They make us generous towards others. We aren't so worried about winning the short game in life When we trust God's promises for the long game, when we know what's coming to us in eternity, we're not so worried about winning this little spat at work, winning this little spat at home. Those things don't matter to us anymore. Instead, we can be generous in those situations. It matters because of the great and generous promises that God has made to you. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's say that, uh, that you're at work and uh, let's say you love your job, you wanna keep your job, you wanna protect your job and, uh, all. and maybe you're going for like another job. Uh, And in the process of that, like you're trying to get promoted, then this other person comes in and now you're both competing for the same job. You're trying to get promoted. They're trying to get promoted. You both want to get to the same place. And in the midst of this, that person winds up threatening the job you already have. So now you go from like, I'm about to get promoted to because this thorn in my side is over here, I might even get fired from a whole job. Like who knows what's going to go on here. Right. That's a recipe for conflict. Right. There's one promotion available like five people that are going for it, or in this case, two people that are going for it. So if you're in that kind of a situation and uh, this world is all you have, like this life, once you retire, you're done working, you never have work to do again, there's no eternity on the other side, then that promotion is the only hope that you've got. And you cannot be generous at all toward anyone who threatens your only chance at success because this life is all that you get on the other hand for a Christian we believe that God has promised to us a great spot in his coming kingdom right a spot ruling a seat in his kingdom where we rule with authority where we have work to do, uh, where we have him equipping and empowering us and rewarding us richly for eternal work that we are doing for him. And all of a sudden, you don't have to have the most prosperous career in the world to be happy. All of a sudden, you're free to live your life serving others instead of serving yourself because you know what's coming to you in eternity. So now you've got that person that's threatening your job and you can be generous toward them because this life isn't the only hope that you've got. Uh, and then, say that they do win and now they're sitting at your desk and they have all of your passwords and all the people that used to answer you are answering to them now you don't have to fall prey to all the temptation you're going to be under instead you can just be generous toward them because hey I'm not worried about having work to do for eternity. Like, I'll have plenty of jobs over eternity in Jesus' kingdom. I'm not worried about getting richly rewarded for the work that I do. I know Jesus will reward me for what I do. So you know what? Congratulations. Here's a welcome gift. Here's my best advice on how to succeed. I'll defend you against all all the gossip, all the office gossip. Here's everything that I can do for you. Now we can suddenly be gentle toward people that were threatening to us. The same thing goes uh, in a marriage as well. And many of us that are married know what marriage arguments are like. Um, and so, um, you know, say you're, you're fighting with your spouse and it's like, let's just say it goes worst case scenario, like whatever you're afraid of like, kind of happens. Uh, what is it that you're afraid of, of losing? in your marriage? Is it that maybe you would go through your whole life without the affection that you crave in your marriage or without the honor that you long for in your marriage or without the general happiness that you long for in your marriage? Whatever it is that you're afraid of losing, if your hope is in the coming kingdom, in the promises God has to you, I mean, just try to imagine an eternity where that honor and that warm affection from Jesus himself and that delight and happiness is not completely yours in Jesus Christ. You will not look back and say, man, I should have taken advantage of that while I had it. You will look back and see how small these things are. And when you see that, when you see what's coming to you in eternity, then all of a sudden, you can be generous towards your spouse instead of trying to get everything you want out of your spouse. So these are just ways that trusting in God's promise can make you a more generous person. Uh, This is, by the way, why uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church who are fighting. They're in a bunch of quarrels and they're splitting apart and he's encouraging them to unite back together and the words he says to them is, already you have all you want, already you have become rich. He's basically saying like guys, there's nothing else left to fight about. Like the Lord has given you everything in Jesus Christ. Now you can just worry about blessing other people and not having to take everything for yourself. And we're gonna see in a moment that makes a huge difference in conflict. So one thing that faith does then is it makes you, uh, it makes you generous uh, in conflict. The other thing it gives you is gentleness in conflict. And we see this just barely in Abram's words in our English translations. Look back at verse eight and nine with me. Um, If you're using the same translation we use, which is the New American Standard Bible, you'll see the word please twice in there. Once in verse eight that Abram says it to Lot, and again in verse nine. Um, It's not in every translation. Different translations do it different ways. And what they are doing there is they are trying to express to us English readers that in the original language, Abram is using very polite and gentle language with Lot. Now, that may not seem like a big deal because, you know, they're important people in negotiation. Isn't that how people like that talk? Well, no, not necessarily. Some of you were here last week and you remember how Pharaoh spoke to Abram, right? They were having a very similar conversation, a very similar, hey, we aren't going to work together. You need to go and you need to be somewhere else. Except Pharaoh was excessively harsh with him. He basically says, get Out and he can get away with it because he's Pharaoh and so Abram has to leave. So we've seen what harsh language looks like. Now Abram talks a lot here and he's saying words like please and now let let there be no quarreling between us. His language is so gentle with him. That gentleness of speech is another mark of faith. That's another thing the Lord will do in your life as you trust him and it comes in handy in conflict. Uh, For instance... Uh, The Apostle Paul, again, uh, writes later about marks of the Spirit of God's work in your life. Like if God is really working in your life and your faith is genuine, uh, that will act as a seed that will bear fruit in your life. And that fruit, you know, a lot of us memorized the song when we were little from Galatian. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The second to last one is gentleness. That's one of the fruits that the Lord gives to you as he is working in you. So your faith will, will grow gentleness in you. Not just that we're told to pursue it as christians first uh, timothy 6 11 says pursue righteousness godliness faith love perseverance and gentleness faith in god's promises helps you do that as well it doesn't just make you generous it makes you gentle because uh, you're not so worried about the short run anymore i mean consider it this way if If your hope is in this world and and if prospering in this life is the only good thing you could ever have, you don't have eternity waiting for you. Well, now whatever job you work like, it is your only chance for career satisfaction and getting rich ever. And whatever marriage you're in, that's your only chance for all the kinds of happiness and satisfaction that come in marriage. What incredible pressure to put on your job and on your spouse and on yourself that you have to do all there can be to do and you have to be as happy as a person can be just in this life. And if you miss out on something, you miss out on it for eternity. Now what do people do when they're under that kind of pressure? Well, they tend to snap at their wives a lot, honestly. They tend to go off on their boss when their boss doesn't give them what they want because we're under so much stress to do well for ourselves now and can't keep our eyes on eternity. If instead, we have our eyes on the hope of eternity's promise, that frees us up to not be so stressed, not be so worried, because what we have now doesn't matter so much. Now we can speak gently to our spouses. Now we can speak gently to those we work with. We can speak gently to everybody. And that's one way that hope in God's promise promises uh, gives gentleness to us so that's the first step right hope in God's promises trusting in God's promises gives you both generosity and gentleness it's the work that it will do in your lives Uh, next we'll see uh, how that plays out in a conflict situation how does our generosity and gentleness as God's people uh, how does it affect a tough spot let's look at verse 10 and we'll read on a little more It says Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw all the valley of the Jordan that it was well watered everywhere. This is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So the more important thing here is that it quells the conflict. Uh, The less important thing here is that because Lot doesn't have the long view in mind, he decides with the short view in mind, and there are little hints here that he has made the wrong decision. He chooses land that in the end is not going to be that great. Uh, the original readers of this book would have known the land really well, and so they would have read that description about it being well-watered and like the Garden of Eden, and they would have said, what? It'd be kind of like me saying, uh, I went out to where the temporary buildings used to be and I looked across 31 at Lake Michigan and it was just amazing. And you'd be like, what? (laughs) That's not where Lake Michigan is. Uh, And there are little hints as to what wound up happening, right? It says this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. uh, And it says the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly. They were sinners against the Lord. Uh, What winds up happening is the Lord does destroy one of those cities and that whole surrounding land today is a salt-filled wasteland. And that beautiful sea I mentioned earlier today, it's the Dead Sea, the Great Salt Sea, uh, which you can float in without any effort, but living things cannot live in. That's what the land is now. And so Lot's decision looks good in the short term, but in the long term, it doesn't work out well for him. That's the small point. The big point is that Abram's work with Lot quells the conflict, and now they're going to separate, and the guys, they, they cannot fight in this way anymore. So Abram's generosity and his gentleness lead to a diffusing of the conflict. He diffuses the balm with the work the Lord has done in his life. That brings us to the second point. Generosity and gentleness are really helpful in diffusing conflict. Uh, there are a few proverbs about this, uh, for instance. Uh, let me point you to Proverbs 28, 25. We'll try to put it on the screens. We'll look at a few proverbs, so you don't necessarily need to turn there unless you just want to um, Proverbs 28, 25 says a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. So just a little window there to when we're in these kind of situations and we approach them with greed and we're trying to grab on to everything that is ours, that brews conflict and strife in a situation. But when we're generous and can be open handed toward others, that tends to bring peace into a situation. Not only will uh, the generosity come in handy, but gentleness comes in handy in a conflict as well. I'll give you two Proverbs about that. Uh, Proverbs 15.1 says very plainly, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's why Abram spoke the way he did to Lot. Proverbs 25.15 says, by forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue breaks the bone. All right, so just kind of, you know, when you've got a boss who just isn't doing right and you're frustrated by it, just overlooking that time after time eventually can lead to persuading him or her of your cause, especially if you can speak softly and speak gently as you do it. So generosity and gentleness come in really handy diffusing some of these difficult situations. Uh, Let's think about them in those two situations we talked about earlier, job conflicts, marital conflicts. Uh, If you're in that situation where someone was once threatening your job, now they've taken it from you and now they're at your desk and they're doing all your stuff. Uh, If you're able to approach that with generosity toward them, you know, you congratulate them, you get them a card or a gift or something, you kind of leave them the list of passwords so it's easier for them, just generosity toward them. And gentleness in speech, like you're kind in the way that you talk to them. You're a gentleman or a lady about it on one hand. Or on the other hand, you can say, I ain't going down without a fight, buddy, right? Like, I'm going to take care of this. We're going to fight. Which one of those is gonna resolve the conflict and which one's gonna to lead to more conflict? The answer is obvious, right? Generosity and gentleness towards someone that's gonna diffuse that much more likely than approaching it with just trying to defend and fight. Same thing in your marriages as well. If you're in these situations where you're arguing with a spouse or with you know, whatever might be going on in there, if you're approaching that thinking, okay, what does my wife want? Like what is so important to her right now? And you can figure it out you'll probably find a way that you can be generous toward her and likewise with wives toward husbands. Like what's so important to my husband right now that we're fighting about this? Maybe you can uncover a way that you can be generous toward him in your marriage, and that's going to go a long way. It may not resolve the whole dispute. It may not mean letting him win the argument or something like that, but it may go a long way toward bringing peace in your marriage. The same thing with gentleness. I mean, anyone who lives with another person knows if you speak to them gently, things are going to go better. If you speak harshly to each other, things are not going to go as well. So as plain as day, generosity, gentleness, they help us to diffuse conflicts. Uh, With that comes a word to the leaders in our church because the Lord gives words specifically to leaders about this uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25. Uh, He talks about correcting and conflict situations. I'll read what he says. He says the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness and correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps, God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, so two big things there, especially early in verse 25, gentleness correcting. Those of us that are, that are serving as pastors and leaders and deacons, we know that sometimes there's conflict between members or sometimes someone does something they're not supposed to do. We have to go in and help in the situation. Lots of advice here, but two I wanna point out, correcting with gentleness. You have to correct people with a gentleness, those who are in opposition. And then the result is perhaps God may grant them repentance. It's not foolproof. Wisdom is never foolproof. That's why it's wisdom. Uh, But God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Just one way this applies to everyday situations that surely as leaders we will deal with one way in the church, one day in the church. So not only does faith in God's promises make you generous and gentle, but that generosity and gentleness leads to peacemaking. It helps you make peace when it's difficult to do so. Uh, that is how people of faith become peacemakers. God makes some generous, gentle people, and those kind of people can sow peace. But that's not all, there's more. The really cool thing here is that becoming a peacemaker affirms your part in God's promises. It doesn't just end with you making peace and you're like, hey, that was cool, I'm out. No, now God uses that to affirm, yeah, you really are one of my children. Yeah, I really do have great promises for you. And that's how this works. We see this first play out in Abram's life. uh, And then I'll show you a little more about how it plays out in our lives. So let's pick up at verse 14 again. Uh, We'll read how God responds to what Abram does. uh, And then we'll talk a little about it. It says, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, well, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and its breadth, for I will give it to you. And then Abram moved his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, God had already promised to Abram he would have descendants. They would be a nation. They would dwell in that land. There's no new content in the promise here. But what he does is he amplifies it by attaching a word picture to it, like by helping you imagine it with this dust of the earth thing and by saying it a little more formally. So first he gives you a picture by which you can understand it better. Like it used to be you're going to have many descendants and that's cool. Now it's your descendants will be as many as the dust of the earth. If you can count up every speck of dust, someone will be able to count up your descendants. Now, that's the same thing. It's just with more force and with more weight. You can imagine it better, so it's more powerful. The same thing with the land. God's already promised him the land, but now he's doing what real estate people would do in those days, which is you walk around the property, and then you say, I give it to him and his sons forever and now you have closed the deal and you have given him the land. So this is the equivalent to today you know you're under contract for a house but eventually you go to the county office you sign the closing papers and now it's closed and it's done. This is like a closing of the real estate deal that the Lord does with him. He basically amplifies the same promise makes it with more force and he does that in connection with what Abram had done, and that's what's amazing about this. they're more connected than you think. Like, it's very easy to think, okay, that story's done with, now God makes him this promise, that's its own story, and then it goes on. Well, no, the Lord does this as a response, and he gives us one big hint here that he's doing that, and then he says it plainly somewhere else. Uh, if you got your Bibles with you, let's look at those two paragraphs together. We're gonna have to stare at the page for two or three minutes, and I'm gonna show you the way that he connects these paragraphs. So... The paragraph about Abram and Lot starts at verse 9, and it goes to verse 13. You may be able to see that on your page. And then the promise paragraph we just read goes from verse 14 to 18. So once you've found those, park on those there. Uh, What you're gonna see is an echoing from one to the other. Here's the first one. In verse 9, you can see the word separate, right? Please separate from me, Abram says. And if you skip ahead to verse 13, 14, I believe, no, it's verse, yeah, it is verse 14. Uh, The word separate appears again after Lot had separated from him. So you got the word separate, and then in the second paragraph, the word separate again, okay. Now in verse 10, go back to verse 10, you see Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. You see those words there. And when you move your eyes down to verse 14, you'll see that same language again. Uh, God says to Abram, now lift up your eyes and look, all right? Okay, now it's starting to get interesting, right? Maybe there's a pattern here. There is. Uh, In verse 11, Lot chooses all the valley of the Jordan, it says. All of the valley of the Jordan. And in verse 15, God promises Abram all the land which you see. Similar wording again. Now we got three. This is really starting to get fun. There's two more. In verse 12, Lot moved his tents, it says, as far as Sodom. And in verse 18, Abram moved his tents and came by the oaks there. And then finally, both paragraphs end with the Lord's name. Right? The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked against the Lord. Abram builds an altar and worships the Lord. So, it just just beautiful poetry by which this author is hinting to us: Hey, there's a connection here. I'm doing like this this echo, rec tape delay, echo thing here just to show you that something's going on there's a connection here and for generations they probably just had to wonder what is that connection like what is it and on one hand we could stand in awe stuff like that like God's word is so beautiful just so much amazing stuff like that in there and we should just tremble before its glory uh But there is a point and Jesus says the point later. Why are these connected? Abram makes peace and then he gets the promises reaffirmed to them. Why would they be connected? Because of what Jesus says later, blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. This is how God responds to us when we make peace. He affirms to us, calls us his sons. Now, we're not his sons because we make peace. No, no, we make peace because we're his sons, right? The promises lead to all this stuff that turn us into the kind of people who can make peace, but then how he responds is by affirming it. And so many of us can look back at our lives and take great comfort here at what has gone on in the past. I wonder, can you trace in your life, Christians, especially as you've been following Jesus a couple of years, Can you trace in your life how you became more generous after you started following Jesus? Can you look back and, I used to be really stingy. And then actually, yeah, I did become more generous. What about harshness and gentleness of speech? Did the Lord make you more gentle after you came to Christ? And were there ever any situations that could have blown up except The Lord has been working in you, and now you're generous, and now you're gentle. And you can look back and say, oh yeah, that one would have really blown up if it hadn't been for what the Lord is doing. In this one too, in this one, if you can look back and find those, trace your faith changing you and that leading to a real difference in the world, you can look back on that as a verification of God calling to you and saying, yes, you indeed are my children. That is why I am doing that work in you. That's why I'm changing your character and working through you so powerfully because of your faith. In my promises. So hear him affirm that and your sonship in his kingdom. Side note before we go, um, I've been saying sons a lot, right? Sons of God. And there are probably a couple ladies in the room that are like, are you gonna talk about us ever? Like what's going on here? Uh, The reason that the Bible calls men and women sons of God is that in the ancient world, a daughter had a relationship with her father and a son had a relationship and an inheritance. And so the Bible clarifies in many occasions, we're not just children of God, we're sons of God because we've got a great inheritance waiting for them. So ladies, if you ever hear me say sons of God or if you read the Bible and it says sons of God, it includes men and women who have trust god's promises and it gives to us a sonship that has a great inheritance in his kingdom so there you have it rich depths in god's word if we trust his promises he does great work in our life uses us to make peace in others lives and in our own and by that affirms that we are his sons oh how powerful if you don't follow Jesus, uh, I just pray that seeing some of these wonders can show you that this is a Lord worth following. Uh, he has changed so many people around you right now and made us into sting- from stingy, harsh people into open, generous, gentle people. And he's done that by the power of his word. And that word and promise is worth your trust and your worship as well. He calls to you, even now, and he says, come back to me. He says, you have run so far from me, but I offer you full forgiveness because of my shed blood on the cross. Come, follow me, live life with me, watch what I do in your life as you follow me. I pray today is the day that you will answer his call. For now, let's pray.